we've spoken about carbon tunnel vision and how we've got the looming challenge of biodiversity and nature. And one of the big pressing issues for us is how do we keep sustainability costs down and manageable whilst also growing, scaling the data infrastructure and thinking about how we can incorporate other metrics that are coming and are going to be really important for us to be thinking about. Um, so without further ado, I'm really glad to have these four brilliant people in front of me. We've got Steph Coolis, Head of ESG Digital Transformation at Kraft Heinz. We've got Andy, Head of Sustainable Procurement at Diageo. And we've also got Chris, who's Sustainability Director for Europe of Thai Union. So thank you also. Oh, and Seth. Um, so without further ado, Steph, Andy, Chris, going to come to you. Um, what are your objectives and goals when it comes to your data infrastructure? Start with that. Sure. Um, so obviously data is on everyone's mind. I think it's a word we said probably 300 times already today. Um, my role is new to our company, Kraft Heinz, which has been really interesting because I came from IT. I came from analytics. And I was impressed with how little standardization there was across the sustainability space. And if I think about the broader ESG agenda. Uh, so my first goal was to create that standardization, to create that architecture, because that brings the data out of the ESG team, which is 10 people, and to the whole company. How can I create that visibility at a BU level, at a brand level, to start driving and mobilizing the business to understand the data points in ESG and bring it out of ESG and put it into the business? Thanks. Yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm not sure whether we've uh, we've got the winning ticket here. Talk about data infrastructure in the uh, the afternoon slot just after lunch. <laughs> so we'll hopefully keep it upbeat. So yeah, from us, really the core focus is about effective decision making. Yeah, there's some critical requirements in terms of reporting, but actually the most fundamental piece is about how we engage within the business and across our value chains and how we're able to use that data to make effective decision making. And I think the core benefit there is it means that we don't have to, Anne's point earlier this morning, we don't have to strive for perfection at this stage. It's really about getting data to a position that is good enough to support those decisions. And as part of that decision-making, really structuring it a way in which it's engaging for our, our business leaders and for our teams. You know, a lot of individuals still don't fully understand sustainability, perhaps many of us in the room. Uh, so we need to find ways of opening this up, making it interesting, making it insightful and enabling them to really play a part in the journey. Thanks very much, Andy. Um, I think agree with very much you know, what you're saying there. I think centrally for us uh, on data or just about anything on sustainability, we want to be trying to get a commercial benefit now. So we actually want to make sure we can commercialize it. A lot of sustainability has been pre-commercial for many years. We've done a lot of projects to try and improve the fisheries we source from, sometimes working with our competitors, suppliers, et cetera. And the key now is, is really, can we use it to build better relationships with customers and, and drive sales? And how do we do that is complicated. I suppose part of it is, is, is better specificity in a complicated word to get out. I mentioned I did first time, but um, we can talk to customers and they say, can you prove that your carbon footprint is, is lower than buying a can of tuna from one of your competitors and it's a relatively difficult discussion because often we're using industry averages generics you know emissions factors that are quite common and standardized so we want to to drill down and get better data and demonstrate that what we're doing goes further and faster and that we can use that as part of our relationship with our customers and and get away from that sort of more transactional relationship and and you know develop it in that way so i think that's ultimately what we want but it's complex and, and, and difficult. And what same, just on that, what are some of the ways that you think, and actually Anne was talking about it earlier, around getting procurement and sustainability teams in the room and working 
together. What are some of the ways that you've tangibly seen that work and the approach to doing that within the organization? I think it's, it works very well at the level of fish procurement. So you could take sort of polar opposite ends of the, the scale for us. So if we're buying tuna, we will work with the same vessel owners year in, year out. So we've got two production plants that serve most of Northern Europe. So they'd be Ghana or Seychelles. We've got 42 boats in serving the one in Seychelles, about 30 Ghana. And we know who they are year in, year out. We've worked them on fishery improvement projects. So probably a relationship with the same suppliers year in, year out gets you better data, gets progress with them, etc. And we did that largely because our customers asked us to, largely because NGOs were demanding us of them. And you remember things like the Greenpeace Tuna League table from 2011 to, to 17. It was massively effective in, in driving change in the sector. If you go to something like soy, we use small amounts of soy oil. It's very commoditized. And the spec might say you could buy from 10 different suppliers, 10 different countries, et cetera. And we don't have the leverage and, and so on. So I think crucially, procurement teams tend to understand where customer demands have come in very, very clearly. And often customer demands are articulating NGO demands. So that works. And I think generally as a shortcut, you get a much better, more sustainable solution if you work with the same suppliers year in, year out. It's, it's almost sort of so simple, it's obvious. But when you go up to the people above us, retailers, they have no fidelity to their suppliers whatsoever and they chop and change. So that's the complexity of the, the world we're in. Nice segue to Andy. I'd love your take on that as well from a sustainability and procurement angle and how to get that working. Yeah, I think touched on innovation mm. earlier on. It, it is really about understanding what how data is going to serve you. So really focusing on outcomes. So what outcomes are you chasing? You know, I heard some people talking about regenerative agriculture. In my view, regenerative agriculture is a tool which we need to progress and evolve, but it's about what outcomes will it deliver. So being really clear about the outcomes that you're chasing and then understanding where you can source the relevant data to underpin the, both the understanding of where you are and then the subsequent decision-making and then understanding which players in the value chain play a role in terms of providing that. So for us, you know, it isn't just about emissions. It is about making balanced decisions. So looking at water, looking at nature, there are significant benefits around that, the real efficiencies by taking an integrated approach, but it does drive potentially additional complexity in terms of data. And when you talk into farmers to land managers who are potentially one, two, three, four steps away from your primary supplier, finding ways in which we can standardize the ask right through that value chain, through those tiers, so they know what we want and why we want it, but also trying to standardize across all those different customers who are asking for that data makes their lives a lot easier. So it makes it much more efficient for them to actually provide that data. It also means that we can put in place the right propositions to help build that education and understanding around why that data is valuable about how they can construct their own plans and about how they can actually start measuring. And then as a result of all of that, we can look at what are the right technology solutions to draw that data through. So for me, yeah, if you looked at Sol Carbon, for example, you know, there's a lot of work happening in terms of satellite and near-Earth observation, which is great, but there's still a question about, well, how accurate is that? And what we need to do is not just take that at face value, but similarly not step away and say, well, we're not going to do anything until the data's right. 
So it's a case of how do we bring some of those innovative partnerships together? So we've been working, for example, with AgriCarbon uh, to, to actually look at really efficient soil carbon soil health measurement in the ground. So taking ground cores, they're able to do that really efficiently. So the cost is much lower. Now the benefit of that, and it's much less invasive for the farmer, but the benefit of that is we're able to take more samples to build that evidence base and then link it back to, you know, these near earth observation propositions to ground truth is. So you're getting that circular refinement of, of data. So taking that kind of approach to everything we do, simplicity, but investing in the right collaborations to drive that refinement of data is, is really crucial. Thanks. That's a good segue, actually, Seth, from a data perspective. Like, what are some of the key considerations that should inform a company's data infrastructure approach? Big question. Yeah. Um, and so, obviously, I have a lot of views here, given Altruistic as a sustainability data data company. Um, but if I actually like start maybe with what I think the problem to solve is not, like, I think we're all a little obsessed with accuracy, right? And And I think that's great. But we should also just accept accuracy is going to come in time. And obsessing about accuracy right now is really putting the cart before the horse. I would, and, and you know, everyone in this room is at different stage in the journey, right? So maybe some of the ones here are a little further and some others are a little, little behind. I would actually think about three things. One is digitization. That in itself is like the first big hurdle for a lot of us to get around, which is this data sits in like, PDFs and invoices and spreadsheets and PowerPoints and emails. Let's just actually first get into a consistent, uh, you know, format and digitize it appropriately so it will be useful to us later, and we can then worry about accuracy later. So digitization, I think, should be the first first piece in the infrastructure challenge. The second I would think about is granularity, which is uh, just to make it really simple, right? Let's say that you're digitizing your packaging data. And you go at a high level, which means you're basically saying, I'm buying 100,000 uh, units of packaging, and that's all you have. That's going to be pretty much useless to you in four years, uh, because in four years, the expectation is going to be that you can actually start giving insights at a much lower, much finer grain. So granularity means can you actually go down to the level at which you have the data, which might be, I'm buying five units from China, six units from Germany, seven units from, from, from the U.S., and these are the different packaging materials. Like whatever you have, start with that and try and get that granularity digitized. So granularity, I would say, is the second piece. And then the third piece, I would say, is usability. And I think this is the piece most of us will miss, which is you need to actually classify that data. And by that, I mean actually like tag that data in some way, add some descriptors, some element to be able to analyze that later. You know, a lot of us are proficient in Excel. In Excel, anyone kind of, you know, who's used a pivot table knows that you basically want to have some sort of nomenclature, some sort of tagging to be able to filter this. So just to make it, you know, apply the same thing at a much larger scale, uh, you know, some of the companies here will be dealing with many millions of lines of data, right, in that equivalent. You want to be able to have tagged that appropriately. Is this an item, you know, is it pulp and paper packaging? If so, there's a China tag, maybe there's a pulp and paper tag, there's an agriculture tag. Uh, there might be an organic tag, right? There might be a net whatever, neutral, zero, you know, positive, negative, uh, whatever it is, right? All of those descriptors, if you capture them in your digitization journey, they'll be useful to you later. And I would say these sort of three investments now, digitization, granularity, and usability, are more important for you than accuracy. So there's a long answer. I don't know. Let's get three points. And it leads nicely, like Steph, when it comes to the future and how you see data infrastructure evolving, 
whether it's through Kraft Heinz or through your experience, where do you see that going? Yeah, it's a journey. And I think mm-hmm. you put it very perfectly of you needs to be thought of as a journey. Accuracy is a consequence of some of the things that you need to work on, right? Um, and don't get caught up that you don't have perfect data everywhere. If I think of Kraft Heinz, North America, we have super clean data. We're maybe on step three, right? But in Asia, we're on step one, right? So it doesn't need to be the perfect data set. And you might be at different levels of maturity, even within your own company. Uh, and bring people along the journey and understand that even within the company, they might be at different stages. I love it. I also love that we're perfectly on time. (laughs) And this has been the largest panel yet. So well done. Um, To the floor, questions? Anyone got anything? We've got mics. Yeah, I'll pass it. Uh, so hi, I'm Hendrik from uh, Barry Callabout, uh, and I'm also involved with data, apparently. And uh, I wanted to ask... (laughs) um, uh, I wanted to ask Steph, like we we're talking about infrastructure and systems and I'm an engineer and technology is always nice, but how do you ensure to uh, increase the data literacy in your organization, how to take people along? Because you can have beautiful systems, but if you have crap in, then you get crap out again, right? And that's not what we are aiming for. Yeah, I think this, the struggle with ESG in general is you're starting to use data sets that should have already been clean in your company. And so you have to convince them that packaging data needs to be clean in a system where it maybe didn't need to be before, right? Uh, so I find it sometimes hard in ESG, you have to bear the weights of the ineffective data in departments that already should have been effective. Um, so some of that has been for us, the success lever has been actually un- giving them the understanding that we're using this in our greenhouse gas calculation. We're using this to make decisions, especially with the, the younger generations, it's, it's, which are mainly your data inputters, if they start to understand this is how I'm making decision-making from a carbon perspective, they get motivated to actually understand that end-to-end. And this is where data can't be, you know, especially the black box carbon exercise that we're all trying to get away from. It needs to be pulled out of that black box exercise. It needs to be a whole corporation that's believing that the data needs to be accurate. So it, it's connecting the mission to the, the data. Thank you. Um, I can see we're already getting a little bit confused. Well, we're using lots of different language, sustainability, ESG, scope three, you know, we're all in lots of things. And again, we're talking about data as if it's a, an end in itself. How are we going to get that granularity and that decision making in what that data needs to be at the bottom of this chain in order to have some truly answerable questions at the top of it? And how do we organize that before we just think about this, these dots whizzing through this, the chain. Yeah, it, it's a really important piece. And it, for me, it comes back down to the outcomes. So, you know, as a business, we're really clear where we're going, what we need to do, what, what the business imperatives are. So it's then a case of, therefore, in this space, what are the key outcomes that are of importance that, that help us do that? And then from that, you can then start to cascade that through your data, architect, architecture, design and start to understand, well, what are the data sets you need? How are they relevant? Which ones are priority data sets that you need to focus on first, either, either be cleansing or refining? And also where you've not, get the, not got those data sets, what are the right partnerships or right opportunities to go after to actually start, start bringing that data in to fill those gaps. So for me, absolutely focused on outcomes first and then building the data strategy around that. Before starting Altruistic, I started a farming company. Uh, growing flowers, and the business is based in Pakistan. 
And it's a large supplier into the cosmetics and fragrance industry. And we started getting asked for emissions data from this business. And there was zero chance that we could provide anything of any sort, no matter how it was standardized, no matter what anyone asked. There's just no literacy at the level of the farm operation. And I think that many farms in many supply chains here will subscribe to the same. And so actually, I, I think the answer shouldn't be a 100% bottom-up buildup because that actually forces a massive amount of workload onto everyone. If you take a small farm, the cost of getting any sort of data into any sort of usable format is likely to be around $10,000, somewhere between five and 15 on average, just based on kind of our anecdotal evidence, which is a reasonable share of EBITDA for that business. And, you know, maybe you can say, look, that 10 can be brought down to three, but even that three is a reasonable share of EBITDA. So ideally, if we do it top down, we start to think, well, maybe actually 40% of your suppliers by number don't, it doesn't actually matter, right? You can, you can have an extrapolation because it's such a small contributor to your problem that, you know, no one has to worry about it. And actually maybe there's five or 10% by number where, where you do. And I think that simplifies life a little for everyone, but maybe that's a controversial view. So yeah, just one bill on that. So absolutely focusing on materiality is crucial to really optimize that. But I think there's also an element of kind of using exemplars. So you may have players within your supply chain who are doing some really great stuff. And this is less about data, this is more about engagement, but finding those exemplars, drawing them through and helping them to share, inform, rationalize the decision-making and the engagement of other suppliers is also really crucial, but yeah, largely focused around materiality. Cool. Anything else? Or we're going to get straight into working groups. Go on, Luke. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose for, for me, it's quite interesting. A, a couple of things there we've talked about sustainability literacy, and you mentioned uh, uh, understanding that. And I thought Steph coming from an IT background, do you think the level of data literacy within sustainability teams is sufficient? And, and certainly outside of the, outside of the carbon team, which typically are the, the areas that have the best data capabilities? Short answer, no. Um, <laughs> I think it, um, I would encourage all of you to campaign for someone that has a data background to join your team. Data shouldn't be something you're tagging on as your part-time job if you didn't study it, especially data architecture. Carbon calculation is a lot of data, especially at big companies. So I would encourage you to also bring in people that have different perspectives to help you with this. Uh, we found internally a lot of people want to start working with the ESG team. Um, so we were able to pull in people to work on project base. So it can also be you find the people in IT that are actually want to do something with a bit more purpose. And can you bring them on? Um, because it is a technical ability, just like sustainability is a technical ability uh, that it's, it's hard to do part time. On that, I mean, you know, I'm a middle-aged man who thinks doing a pivot table in an Excel is an amazing achievement. So, you know, but I've been working in sustainability for like 25 years. So you, you've got this in a nutshell illustrated. Um, previous company I worked for, when we were looking at our scope three emissions, we were obviously having to do more and more complicated SAP queries. And so you could look at all your purchased goods and services. And then we were trying to get these connected to packaging specs to get weights. You, you can imagine. And we needed a specialist from our IT department to do that. And then what happened was the IT department came back and said, we've got this provider coming in, we've got SAP coming in. And they were pitching and they were almost trying to say, we can be the new masters of the universe. You know, we've recognized you've got a massive data problem and we can own this. And I was sat there thinking, 
shall we let them run off with it because this could save a lot of time and we could have something really good or, or, or do we need to bring it back in because they could do something absolutely crazy because they don't know anything about sustainability. So I think that's probably going on in, in most companies. There's a, a difficult schism between sustainability people and, and, and data specialists and we don't really understand each other. Thank you. Well, thank you on that note.